Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. So um, do you have a favorite data set? I think data sets that one works with, they're like children. Uh, you shouldn't have a favorite. <laughs> but there are some that are very special to you. Okay, we're going to talk about one of those. You're listening to Linear Digressions. All right, so what's our data set today? It's the Enron emails corpus. Ah, that. Yeah, so if there's anyone listening who took the intro to machine learning, you know a lot about this data set. This was... And that, that's, a, that's a course that we have at Udacity, Udacity. which is a company who uh, we work for and who lets us put this podcast together. So, hey. Thanks, guys. Um, and you taught it, too. I taught the intro to machine learning course, yeah. And in the course of that was, I knew about the Enron data set before, but the, but for that class was the first time I really dug into it. That's when it became your little data set child. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> and I really grew to love it and make it my own in in some pretty particular ways. Um, yeah. And yeah, so the, the project that we tried to do with this data set, well, we should back up a little bit. Yeah, let's back up. What is this data set exactly? So do you remember... Enron. I do. We're both old enough to remember Enron. Yes, uh, uh, oil company. It was an energy distribution company, really. Oh, they okay. Did... I guess I don't remember it well enough. Well, no, it's it's a an easy mistake to make, Ben, because they did all kinds of stuff, much of which was pretty fraudulent. I see. Um, and so it was a it was a huge company. It was a, a very big company. It was a very well respected company. I think at its height, it was the seventh biggest company in the United States. Wow, so very, very, very big company. Yes, yes, and took a lot of pride in the smartness of the people who worked there and their ability to make lots and lots of money and all this sort of thing. In 2001 and 2002, the company went bankrupt in a blizzard of fraud. There was all kinds of different stuff that was going on. And it was one of the biggest, it was a big political story. Obviously, it was a huge economic story. There were tens of thousands of people who lost their jobs, mm-hmm. who lost huge amounts of money when the stock became worthless. And so, as would be expected, there was a big federal investigation into the fraud to try to figure out exactly what happened. A lot of people ended up going to jail or being indicted. And in the course of the investigation that happened, they seized the email inboxes of about 150 of the senior executives. Ooh, boy, okay. Those emails were turned into a data set that we today know as the Enron email corpus. Wow, so so I can go and download the Enron email corpus and look at what the top 150 execs at Enron in 2000 whatever did. You can, absolutely. Wrote. Yeah, you that's, can you can read these guys' inboxes. No, that's crazy, That that is insane, like that, from our perspective today, the idea of just releasing all of the data in any person's email inbox is insane. Like, because there's data mining, there's all kinds of privacy, potential privacy issues. I think there's much more of an awareness now, yes, of how mm-hmm. much personal stuff can be in your email messages. Even if you're not explicitly saying these things, you can infer a lot. Yeah, and that. In this particular case, there was stuff that they just had never even really thought about before they released it. So one of the things that this corpus has been used for is as an example to write algorithms that clean up personally identifiable information in data sets. So when this was originally released, it was in more or less its raw form with only some fairly minor cleaning up. And then people realized there's social security numbers in here, there's bank information, there's, you know, birthdays and mother made mother's maiden names. There's you could easily steal someone's identity. And and I should say that even though Enron there was a lot of fraud going on at Enron, most of the people at Enron 
weren't involved in fraud, right? So it's totally conceivable that you could just have your email swept up in this in this dragnet, even though you're doing nothing wrong. Ooh. And then you could kind of have it ruined all over again because all of a sudden everybody knows your wife's name and your address and your social security number. And this has been one of the, the uses for it actually is they've used it to help develop algorithms that can scrub this sort of information out of data sets. Oh, that's interesting. So. So presumably because this data has been around for so long and because so many people have looked at it and spent time cleaning it up, it's basically a huge labeled data set in a sense, right? Labeled in what way? Labeled in that you know what of all the information in the data set is personally identifiable information. And from that, you can figure out what personally identifiable information looks like? That's a good question. I don't know if it works exactly that way because I think if you were to go online right now and just download this data set, what you would find is a version of the corpus mm-hmm. where all of this information had been scrubbed away. Oh, I see. And so if you had a version of the data set that was many years older, that maybe had more messages in it, mm-hmm. then you could do a comparison of these two data sets and, and sort of figure out what had gone missing and then figure out if that's personally identifiable information. But yeah, the companies that work on algorithms like this, uh, this is absolutely one of the the training grounds that they say. They say we're able to find and remove whatever percentage of, of personally identifiable information from this very famous corpus. It's almost like a benchmark at this point. How well can you do on the Enron corpus? So in the process of developing the course where you used this data, what kinds of difficulties did you run into in terms of dealing with labeling and dealing with cleaning up the quality of data and Mm -hmm. all of that stuff? The thing that we were trying to do in that class was to use patterns in the Enron data to predict who was what we call a person of interest in the fraud case. We identify as a person who was indicted or made some kind of plea arrangement with the government or agreed to testify in exchange for immunity, basically that looked like there was some kind of involvement in the fraud there on their part even if they weren't technically found guilty of, of fraud. And so in order to get that sort of labeled data set, of course, mm. if you get a bunch of emails, the emails <laughs> the emails don't say, oh, by the way, I'm going to go commit some fraud or something <laughs> like that, right? Yeah, right. So you have, to, you have to go out and you have to get those, those labels. So I actually just spent a couple hours with Vintage New York Times coming up with lists of all the people who were indicted for various Enron activities and then writing it in by hand. So you manually labeled all of that data. Yes, which didn't take that long because there were, I think, about 35 or so people who who were persons of interest by our definition. So it doesn't take too long to to pick out who those 35 people are and then to enter that information. One of the things that was harder Mm -hmm. was uh, and this, I think, is actually completely unique to the Udacity course. This hasn't been done before I did it. In addition to the emails, there was also a lot of confidential financial information that came out. Federal investigators tracked down data from 2000, 2000 2001, that time, about who was getting how much money and in what, how, how it was being paid to them. Is it a salary or a bonus or stock? Or is somebody selling off a bunch of their stock right before a crash? That's a very mm, strong indicator. Yeah. So I found a spreadsheet. Well, the first thing I did was I read a bunch of news articles that said, oh, there's all this interesting Enron bonus data. You're not going to believe how much this person made. So I knew the data was out there. I knew it existed. Yeah. It was fairly 
non-trivial to find. I don't remember how I found it exactly, but there was some, it took me a good hour. A lot to, of Googling. To find this spreadsheet, which was then in a PDF format and I had to convert it and I had mm. to go in and manually clean it up. But the, the payoff was at the end of this, I had another 150 or 200 people or so that I had all of their financial information. And then taking the finance information and the email information and knitting them together was also a project in and of itself. That took another few days or week or so to, to write that and to validate it. But at the end of it, the payoff that you have is you have this incredibly rich email corpus. You have this incredibly rich financial information corpus. And with all of this data together, you can start to get an idea of what the patterns are that determine who was oh, wow. cooking the books. That just sounds insane. So do you, do you think that we're ever gonna get a data set like this again? No, no. The Enron Corpus has taught us a huge amount by the fact that it's out in the wild now. Mm -hmm. um, so people use it to practice uh, topic modeling. They use it to try to figure out like what what people what topics are people writing about in their emails. Trying to figure out automated classification algorithms. Can we automatically know what this email is about and like pre-file it in a certain folder for you when it comes mm -hmm. in? Studying the structure of a large corporation and watching how the structure changes as a function of time. Wow. that maybe certain links are going to be stronger or weaker depending on if times are good or if times are bad and if people start circling the wagons. Sentiment analysis, reading these emails and trying to figure out if people are in good spirits or if they're really, if morale is quite low. Wow, this is, this is phenomenal. It's an amazing data set. So we have, it, it's been the backbone of so many different types of like really interesting studies. But I think that, as you pointed out, 2004, 2003 was a different time in terms of the way that we think about people's privacy on the internet. I think in the last 10 years, we've learned a lot more about just how tenuous your privacy can be and that even mm -hmm. things you think of as fairly innocuous aren't. And I, yeah. <laughs> and I think there was some naivete when they released it at first. They didn't, there's hundreds of thousands of emails in this corpus, so nobody had a chance to read them all. But then yeah. as soon as you open it up and now there's thousands or tens of thousands of people coming through, they find everything. They find mm -hmm. the guy who's cheating on his wife. You know, they find the guy who's like talking about people behind their back. They find, I don't know, cases of probably employment discrimination, like all the stuff that wow. that you, you sometimes say in emails because you think it's private. It's all out there. So no, to answer your question, I, I, I don't think there's ever going to be another Enron data set. So we have to this one we have to mine it for all it's worth, really. But wow, uh, yeah, it's a it's a pretty unique data set. So I guess what we're coming back to is it's really difficult to find such an amazing data set and have it to work with. Yeah, machine learning, especially in the way we usually think about it, it starts and ends with the data. If, if you don't have data, you don't have anything. Mm -hmm. And if you have really amazing data, then you can, you can do things that you never even would have thought of in the first place. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the Enron data set, one of the most famous data sets in the world, deservedly so. Um, I don't think there's there's any email corpus that will threaten it anytime soon. <laughs> wow. Well, thanks for talking more about this. I'm really excited to take your course whenever I can time. I'm usually busy making courses of my own. You will learn a lot about corporate fraud. I'll tell you that. <laughs> you didn't think you would, but this is this is there's a whole unit on it. My gosh. Linear Digressions is a podcast about data science and machine learning, produced and recorded in the studios of Udacity, a company dedicated to education. 
we've got some awesome courses made by people like Katie and me in data science and other tech fields. We should also remind you that all views expressed during this program were those of the speakers and not of Udacity. This is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you don't mind, leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. Thank you for being here. And we'll see you next time.